Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Bitches on Comics, I'm Essie Fleenor, your resident non-binary person. Welcome to Bitches on Comics also from me, Sarah. I'm gay. <laughs> Today we have a question from Colette Collects on Twitter. Very cool name, Colette Collects. I feel like there are so few women doing interiors in comics, and I want to read more comics by women creators, especially when they're doing the interiors. I've read Blackbird, and I'm absolutely in love with Black Stars Above, but I need more. What do you recommend? Hmm, quite a question. Yeah, that's like, it's a lot. We talked about this a little bit on, maybe it's like our sixth or seventh episode. We talked about women doing interiors and particularly doing colors and the history of that in comics. And I was wondering if you would just tell us a little bit about that again. Well, I mean, I guess that probably the most important thing to remember is is that there have always been women in comics all the way back to the beginning. There was, you know, Rose O'Neill who did like the Cupid doll that was from her little short comics. They're like the one panel kind of illustrations that had words with them. I think that that qualifies as comics. You know, we call Marmaduke comics, so I call that comics. They've just kind of always been around. Of course, we talk a lot about Jackie Orms, who did all of the Torchy strip, but she was, you know, one of the first black animators. I think that it's important to emphasize that there was always women making comics, and a lot of them were doing the art to comics. Now, (laughs) it makes it not always easy, though, because back in the day, obviously, a lot of women worked under pen names and things like that so that they would be taken seriously or they would continue to get work in what was predominantly considered to be what men did, right? So even back then, you know, it's really hard to find solid runs of things. It's hard to find an epic story that goes over several issues. You can kind of only find single issues, you know, for the most part through the golden age, We didn't have those long format stories that we have now for the most part. Sometimes, but not often, right? A lot of the manga, honestly, brought in this kind of long, sweeping, epic feel to a lot of comic stories. And, you know, eventually the USA followed suit, and that's kind of what we see now. So you can look on Wikipedia and find, you know, a list of female animators from 100 years ago, and they always existed. There was a lot of problems for them. A lot of them became really famous, you know, like made a lot of money. So like Rose O'Neill was one of the richest artists in the world, actually. But it's been a long and winding road because there's definitely a lot of history there, but it's also very difficult to track. So it's hard to find complete volumes to read. Totally. And you know, something that stood out to me, and and tell me if I'm wrong, Sarah, but this is what I remember you saying, was that women were wanting to do more of the art and would be applying for art positions but men were more likely to get the pencils assignments and women were more likely to be funneled into colors because that was considered lesser somehow. It's weird to recapitulate an argument you don't agree with, right? Like I'm like, that's not true. But that was what you had said. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, that's true of animation as well. There's actually a book that's called Queens of Animation that talks about some of the first women that worked for Disney. 
and how Disney refused to hire women. And then whenever they super had to, because there was a bunch of strikes going on, they hired women for the inks department. So they would basically just be tracing or I'm inking is more complicated than just tracing, but to them day after day, like they start to feel like I'm just doing this kind of grunt work essentially. And that was kind of the case. And of course, women rose up a little bit from that. And it's kind of the same with comics. Women colorists are still doing so, so much work. There's a ton of them to mention. If we're going to talk about women working on interiors, even if they're not doing the full scope, (laughs) like they're not doing the pencils and everything, you know, women do colors still all of the time that just, you know, will blow you away. So you have Tatjana Wood, and she was a person who did almost all of the DC superhero covers 70s into the 80s. So she was all over the place, like tons and tons of work from her. She did the Swamp Thing series, and she was on that series forever. She was there in the Alan Moore run all the way through to the Nancy Collins run. The things that made the old Swamp Thing comic so surreal looking, that is partially Tatjana Wood's work because... And, and you're saying she was doing primarily colors there? She did all the colors. Like Steve okay. Bissett did the Alan Okay, Moore's. that's what I was like. I didn't remember her doing the She pencils. does the colors okay. throughout like almost the entirety of that... You can't get any of the psychedelic feel of Swamp Thing without the colors. The colors well, are That's the thing, so right? Important. They've done a lot of that recoloring stuff. So mm. we keep seeing new additions where it's not Tatjana Wood's colors. And people are like, what is this? <laughs> like, Because she just, <laughs> she helped define it. Like she's part of what that look was. You can't erase her work, you know? People really are dismissive towards colorists sometimes. And it's like... You know, I don't want to be dismissive to the new colorists, but they just aren't doing the same thing that she was doing. They feel pressured that they need to, you know, make it so realistic. And it's like, but that's not what comics were looking like at that time. You can't make Jack Kirby's pencils look hyper realism, you know. So when you put that kind of coloring palette over it, it doesn't look right. So, yeah, I mean, Tatjana Wood is just one. Laura Allred, of course, has worked Uh, on so, so many comics at this point, mostly with her husband. But they're one of the best artistic teams, you know, husband and wife artistic teams in comics, definitely. Christine Strain did the colors for The Runaways, a bunch of other stuff. She's a currently working colorist. Of course, we talk about Jordi Belair, who was on so many books at this point. Um, so many. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that pretty recently she was on Pretty Deadly. Now she's like writing some of the Buffy comics. So yeah. she's definitely somebody to keep your eye on because she's really good at coloring. Uh, she's Tamara- so versatile. You know, it's amazing to see what an incredible creator Jordi Belair is. I really enjoy she, her work. Yeah, she kind of vacillates from like horror to superhero comics to her work on the Asgard series is so different than her work on something like Redlands. Yeah, it's it's wonderful to watch her work. She's really good. There's a pretty good interview with Jordi. I'm sure you could just Google it or I can find it and put it in the show notes. We'll see what happens. And she talked about what things were left up to the colorist versus what things were like dictated and told to her. And there was a point where she switched the blood color for one of the scenes from red, a traditional red, to like using an orange. And in the interview, she really talks about like how that changed the mood and how it made it much more of an alien experience. I believe this is in the Asgard run you were talking about, Sarah. I found it so important for how we think about comics because I tend to think about them as like a whole set. And that's why we often do talk about art because I think you and I are both very keen on that. But I found it really fascinating to think about, okay, well, what what are these things are coming from the creators, coming from the, you're writing the XYZ 
team, here's the color sketch, and which things are like the wiggle room and the playroom for the artists. So I thought that was a really cool interview for that. It's neat to think about how colorists have had such an important impact on, like we talked about before, the mood and feel of comics, but also just on literally what's on the page. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that it is one of the most important things about the comic art. So Tamara Bonvalon is also another one who has been working on tons and tons of comics lately. She's great. We have Glennis Oliver, who did almost all of the X-Books for a very long time. There were other colorists working, obviously, but a lot of that original Demon Bear saga, you know, things like that. That's what she worked on, and she was brilliant. So also we have, of course, Marie Severin, who's probably going to be one of the better known among the colorists of this era. She kind of made her name doing a lot of EC comics where she just went wild on the color palettes, and it looks amazing. She's also a really good penciler. But unfortunately, once again, we're talking about somebody who like, you know, you're a lady kind of situation. She was the colorist. She was like the head colorist. But that's as far as it got, really. She did some penciling and some ad work for them, but didn't get like a really long run, unfortunately, on anything that we can really link to. And then Adrian Roy is the final colorist I'm going to bring up. She did a lot of the early New Teen Titans so she was really good. If you're looking for colorists, like there's a lot of women colorists. Yeah, I think that's what's cool about that lineage and that like history aspect. It's so interesting to see the way women have shown up in comics throughout history and in illustrations and words. And I think that's really, really important. I wanted to add some more recent works to the list for people who are interested in reading titles that are done with women doing the interiors. So Xena Warrior Princess, Vida Ayala has been writing that comic. And the art is by Olympia Sweetman is really, really incredible. The art is so remarkable because it somehow manages to capture the likenesses of the actors who portray Xena and Gabrielle and whoever else. And at the same time, twists it entirely so you feel like you're really just in the comic. It's always on my favorite list. So I think it is absolutely required reading. And Olympia Sweetman does just really, really fantastic work in it. Another one would be, you know, more in the traditional comic book realm. I have a couple for that. One is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which is written by Amy Reader and Brandon Montclair. The art is by Natasha Bustos and the colors are by Tamara von Villain, who you mentioned, Sarah. So I think that Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is a, a more traditional superhero comic in sort of the appearance of it. But I think that there are really great ways the art is playful or communicates how freaking smart Luna Lafayette is. And there's just clever ways things are illustrated and shown. I love the Doom bots. They're so, so funny. And I think the way that the colors work on them is part of what makes them funny. That's yeah, a really she's excellent great. run. She's so, so good. I completely agree. I think that Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is such a playful comic with so many serious elements. And I think that the art has to match that tone. And... Bustos's pencils and Bonvillain's colors really do that work together. And that's super duper exciting. Then there's Black Panther World of Wakanda, written by Roxanne Gay. The art's by Althea E. Martinez and Afua Richardson. And that art is, oh my God. I mean, we're so used to in comics just seeing so many white people. <laughs> 
And what I love about World of Wakanda is we see so many black people. We see so many people who are, you know, Afrofuturists. And so they have African roots and traditional African garb in some ways. And then it's like hyper sci-fi at the same time. And I think that that art really carries Roxanne Gay's beautiful storyline and writing with the influence of Ta-Nehisi Coates. He was sort of like the supervising story connector person. So I think that one is really incredible. Just the variety of shades of skin tone, the different hairstyles, the facial expressions. They also, in that art, really interestingly use foreground background to communicate the way that all the women of the Dora Milaje are training and living together. But how do you have a secret when you're constantly around other people? Some of those panels really stand out in my mind. So I think that is a fantastic run. We couldn't be here if we're not going to talk about Angela, Queen of Hell, written by Marguerite Bennett. The main yeah. story art and colors are by Kim Jacinto and Israel Silva. And the stub story art is by Stephanie Hans. Stephanie Hans is like my favorite, favorite comic artist, I think. Does some of the most beautiful, incredible, trippy, dippy art. And they frequently in the Angela stories have Hans doing the sub story art. It has this beautiful impact of making everything feel like you're in kind of a hazy memory, which is part of what they're doing in the sub story. It's frequently a backstory. And I think that art is just so potent, so beautiful. She also did Die. I think she did a cover for Black Panther, World of Wakanda. She's kind of everywhere. Her art just constantly makes me pull my eyes out because it's so beautiful. <laughs> and she really shows the love between Sarah and Angela in just these really tender moments. I often say that when it comes to Angela and Sarah, their panels where they're kissing, they give so much care to how they present it. So you get this sort of swept up in love feeling. And that's all the art. The art does that because usually those panels don't have any words and not that, you know, writing and art are a permeable boundary. But I would say the art is what delivers that sort of <gasps> feeling that I get when I see the different scenes where Sarah and Angela are kissing. And so mm -hmm. it's brilliant. That whole, I mean, we already talked about how much we loved that series, but the art was a huge, huge part of that. Absolutely. And then I just have like two others. One's Pretty Deadly, which is one of the image comics written by Kelly Sue DeConnick. And I believe is created by DeConnick and the artist, which is Emma Rios. So they collaborated on the creation of the story and then colors by Jordi Belair. And Pretty Deadly is, oh my God, what a great example of how you can use panels interestingly, how you can have this almost high art feeling for this very weird Western story and mm -hmm. how those things blend together and how the desert and the plains are portrayed and how water interacts with those spaces. There's so much movement movement in the pages on Pretty Deadly. And so, I mean, Emma Rios and Jordi Belair just fucking killed it on that. Yeah, that run. that's, it's that's so one good. that's a great example of Jordi Belair's work, too, because it would not look the same if anybody else did it. Those reds and browns that she uses mm. to make it look like this kind of middle of nowhere desert feeling, but also a little bit different than what I've seen before, because I've seen a lot of like Western comics and they don't take this care with making the earth look as dynamic as every character, right? Like every yes, part of the yes. scenery is just interacting with each other in this really great cohesive way. I always think that people look at the desert and see like 
something about themselves. So some people look at the desert and see like a barren wasteland and it's like, that's your problem. And yeah. it seems really clear that both Rios and Belair look at the desert, at least in this this instance, and see like so much depth and layers. And it's not tan. It's red and brown and a little bit of tan. Oh, and black. And here's where the shadows interplay with the color of the land. And it feels so purposeful and distinct. I really, really love there are in Pretty Deadly. It is really, really great. The different people working together to make this comic the comic, it's excellent to see. So we're going to make that be a comic of the week. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Just obviously from our tone of voice, you could probably tell. <laughs> but yeah, just in the meantime, if you're looking for anybody who's just a great interior artist, this is two women working together to do great and written by a woman, I think Pretty Deadly is feminist in one of those ways that is the best of what feminism can do. It is so integral to the very framework and molecular structure, so to speak, of the story and the art and the colors that you can't even necessarily tease out what's feminist about it because it's so, everything is feminist. Like, though every part of this is deeply feminist. Oh, I just love it. I love it so much. And, you know, I'm a sucker for a Western growing up in the West, but most of them I'm like, oh, so by Western, you mean fantasy about killing indigenous people. That yeah, is not something racism. I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm, Western racism. Those don't have to be synonyms any longer. Oh, um, yeah. And no, you look back, though. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't in the Southwest, but I was in Missouri, and I definitely had a lot of relatives that were major John Wayne fans. Oh, and I will God. say that those movies do not age well. <laughs> <laughs> understatement of the century quite yeah. an understatement all right so yeah i mean there's so many uh i want to just take a quick moment to shout out manga artists we like manga but neither of us are huge manga heads so there might be sometimes you know you don't feel like we talk about it enough and maybe there's better people to talk about it just in general but i will say that i do love these artists so tanya del rio does the sabrina manga series that is rad rumiko takahashi of course does ranma half which is such an important comic of course there's a lot of conversation about how gender is portrayed and stuff like that but still groundbreaking comic and naoko takushi who is of course the creator of sailor moon and those are all three women written women art interiors everything they kill it they're really good so there's about 10 billion others to list um, <laughs> right now uh emily carroll is doing brilliant brilliant horror comics oh my god it's so beautiful the writing and the art they're gorgeous i can't recommend them enough if you are a horror fan i wrote a whole article about how much i like her comics and of course we can go ahead and link to that she is a complete badass. Her comics are great. Her art is gorgeous. And she makes some of the most interesting choices I've seen as far as art goes on the page and how that ties in with story. Kind of the two working in tangent with one another. I think it's one of the best examples of that as far as a horror comic goes. <laughs> we absolutely rave about the Kelly Thompson Miss Marvel series. And of course, Carmen Canero is the person who does oh. a lot of the interior art. What uh, a good we, team. Thompson and Carnero. I love them good together. God, yeah, it's really good. They complement each other. And we talked a lot. I don't remember when the comic of the week for the Kelly Thompson Miss Marvel has gone up or will go up. But in that, we definitely talk a lot about how much we appreciated that art. So she's great. Of course, we have Trina Robbins, who is more known as a historian at this point, but she did do some comics. 
kind of hard to track down for the most part, other than her women's comics, which was a big anthology that she did with a lot of other women, usually queer women. And it's kind of underground comic style. So, you know, if that's like not your thing, she also did a <laughs> Wonder Woman comic. It is very difficult to find. <laughs> I have It's a five issue Wonder Woman comic. It's good. Kurt Busaic wrote it, but not the easiest to find. Nicola Scott, did the Birds of Prey with Gail Simone, and that is one of those runs that you just kind of have to pick up. She is incredible. Kind of just the best, honestly. Birds of Prey was also her first job. So whenever you look at that comic and you are completely blown away by it, just remember that that was, you know, her first gig. <laughs> she is amazing. So you have Jill Thompson, who did, you know, a lot of fill-in art. She did a series that was called Finals for Vertigo that I always remember, which was about college students who were doing increasingly sci-fi kind of things to get through their term. And uh, so they end up like in death fights with each other and, you know, people get turned into different creatures and just all kinds of bonkers stuff happens. That is another one where I'm like, good luck finding it. I have no idea how many copies of that even exist. I don't think it's ever going to get recollected probably, but it is really, really good. So if you can find finals by her, uh, she also did Scary Godmother. Really fun art with her. We have a couple of artists that do a lot of queer-friendly porn. So you have Megan Rose Gedris, who did this comic that was called I've Been Kidnapped by Lesbian Space Pirates, which is a narrative story that is really fun and great, if you can find that. But she does a lot of porn comics. And then Colleen Coover does a few porn comics, but then also does a creator-owned comic called Bandette. Amanda Connor, of course, we talk about all the time. She does a ton of great Harley Quinn covers and stuff like that. She did a, the Harley Quinn series from 2013, but she didn't do the interior art on that. She did the covers and the writing. But she has done the interior art for the Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey series. She also did the interior art for the Vampirilla Death and Destruction series, which I really loved. So, yeah, anything by Amanda Connor is great. Colleen Doran is, you know, one of the most famous, I think, women illustrators. And she did her creator owned A Distant Soil. And she also does tons of commissions. You can still hire her to do stuff. She's a huge deal. Highly recommend A Distant Soil. It's epic fantasy stuff that I think a lot of people would really love. Becky Cloonan does the art for Gotham Academy. That's all really good. She was also the first woman to ever draw Batman, like in the Batman series. So that's kind of a huge deal. Star Wars Legacy, which has the pencils by Jan Dersima. Jan Dersima is absolutely incredible. She also did a run on X Factor after Peter David wrote it. And that's really good. But the best thing that you can get is Star Wars Legacy, which for my money is one of the best Star Wars stories that's ever been told. I believe that it's out of continuity because it was before 2014. It was one of the Dark Horse series before Marvel bought the franchise out. But everything about that comic is badass. And they focus in on the Twi'leks a lot. You get to see all of this great development, new characters. That series is brilliant. And I'm in and out of the Star Wars continuity, but I love Star Wars Legacy. And pretty much the whole thing was done by Jan Dersima on the interior. Power Pack was created by Louise Simonson and June Brigman. June Brigman did almost all of the issues. If you're into kind of, it's from the 80s and it's for kids. So that means that it's still pretty dark, but it is still a really good comic. And June Brigman's art is incredible. She is currently on the Mary Worth series, which is obviously a long running cartoon strip. Jillian Tamaki teams up a lot with her sister to do comics like Skim, 
and This One Summer, both of which are absolutely brilliant. Highly recommend you check those out. And finally, I just want to recommend, a lot of people know this person outside of comics, but Kate Beaton obviously did a ton of really, really good humor comics that are, you know, just must read. She does a book collection that's called Step Aside Pops, which is one of the funniest things I've ever read in my life. Those are all so good. I love it. I also want to talk about just a a couple more people. I know we're throwing a lot of names and whatnot at you all. We also, if you're interested, anybody who's a patron at a $5 level or higher, we do a written reading list every month. So we do write this down for you. We tell you where you can find it and we tell you exactly what issues, etc. So yes, it's a lot to throw at you, but hey, become a patron and we'll just send you a little list, a little reading list. I also want to add Julia Kay, who writes up and out comic. Julia is an incredible artist. She writes about her experience transitioning, and she has this great book called Super Late Bloomer. It's a collection of her serial cartoons, and it somehow manages to pull together a really beautiful, cohesive story. By somehow, I mean she's an incredible artist. I also want to talk about a couple of non-binary artists who are doing great work because I think whenever we talk about women, my brain goes, because um, as a non-woman, I think that sometimes it can be a little, you know, it's just, it's just like, let's talk about other folks too. So Sfei, our monster has this beautiful webcomic. You've probably heard me talk about it before, but I'm going to keep talking about it till I die. So get used to it. It is called S Skin. It is a beautiful story about a non-binary person navigating the world. It's a very alternate history world. Beautiful, really incredible stuff. So Svei, our monster. Then we've got Archie Bongiovanni, who does illustrations for Autostraddle, but it's also written a graphic novel called A Quick and Easy Guide to They, Them Pronouns. And then they just wrote a zine about flagging. And it's very cute. They've been like talking about how you can <laughs> flag with your like bandana during a pandemic on their Twitter. It's been great. But Archie writes Grease Bats, which is one of my favorite serial comic strips. Very funny about all these queer and trans folks who are really close friends. And they had a really cute comic about how they're all doing in social distancing. And I really enjoyed that. The last one I will talk about is Scott Tran, uh, who describes himself as a feral queer. He has done just really, really great comics that are really, really fun. Just about, you know, different people dealing with their gender identities or just like being people in the world. And so I totally recommend checking out Ear Work. They are at QueerRebels.com and you can check out all their great stuff. So those are just some of the the non-binary folks that I wanted to shout out as well. Yeah, um, because you can. And like, also, it's great that there is more people working in comics these days. It feels like comics are just getting better and better. I can't put my finger on exactly why hmm, what but could i'm pretty it be? sure that it's an increase in diversity and more different people working on comics and that just what? makes the whole thing better that's just my theory i'm just throwing it out there i don't know i'm willing to have this debate literally forever for the rest of our lives because we will have to even if we fucking didn't want to right but yep <laughs> i'm pretty sure you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything you might shop while working eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. 
And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, happy reading, folks. We gave you lots of folks to think about who are doing interiors, just great work. We also frequently highlight writers who are women and non-binary and trans. So just keep tuning in because we have more and more good stuff for you. get a subscription right now to a lot of things let's face it you could get a netflix subscription you could get literally so many subscriptions but we also have a subscription and our subscription is for decoded which is a 30 day bunch of stories situation that's happening in june and it's all queer creators it's super duper cool we're super excited to be editing this project Every day in Pride, you get an original science fiction, fantasy, horror story, or comic by an LGBTQ plus writer, and you're helping us prove that there's an audience for this work. Because if we sell enough subscriptions, we can keep doing this every year. We could start doing it multiple times a year. And it's only $15 for 30 original stories with original art. Make sure to check out our website, decodedpride.com. It's only $15? Only $15! That's pretty cheap. Go buy a subscription, decodedpride.com. This week's comic of the week is FF, written by Matt Fraction, art by Michael Allred, colors by Laura Allred, letters by Clayton Cowles. Yay! (laughs) Oh my god, it's so cute! What a delight. Also, it's interesting to me that during this time, this was like the most interesting Fantastic Four. So they kind of had to step out of the Fantastic Four to be like, here's how good the Fantastic Four is. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So the basic premise is Reed Richards is sick. He realizes it. He wants to go on a journey to discover the cure. But you know what he does? He's Reed Richards. He lies to his family and says, we're going on vacation. (laughs) God damn it, Reed. And so... What an asshole. And so he and the rest of the Fantastic Four go into space. They're like, okay, we just need some people to literally stand here for four minutes. We'll be back before you know it. Time moves differently. Blah, blah, blah. It'll be a year for us. Four minutes for you. But just in case. So they all go and recruit people. And it's Ant-Man, Scott Lang Ant-Man, She-Hulk, 
some pop star I do not recognize, and Medusa from The Inhumans. Queen of The Inhumans. She's not from The Inhumans. She's the goddamn queen. And they stand there for four minutes, and then guess what? They don't come back. So then it's like they have to be in charge of not just being the Fantastic Four, but the Future Foundation, which if you don't know about, is the cutest single concept ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it so much. I'm like going to cry. It is all the little children who are powered in some way or another. Like one is the clone of a supervillain and is always trying to do horrible things. A bunch of them are aliens. It's just like cute and it's like also reed and sue's kids right franklin and valeria valeria is hilarious because valeria is basically if a super villain was born to a really wholesome family dynamic oh my god so cute always 10 steps ahead of everybody always so so much smarter than everybody and also really genuinely cares about the people around her unfortunately like wants to be a super villain kind of is very grateful to her mom and like loves her mom a lot so can't can't 100% go there it's all so cute I mean this is a recipe for hijinks right it's like a school for superpowered kids who are being like led by a person with no superpowers but a good suit and then like some other people I love it I loved everything about it every single page I felt like was pure gold It is. The art is incredible. Obviously, Mike and Laura Allred have been doing fantastic, beautiful, dynamic, pop culture looking (laughs) centric kind of comics for a really long time. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I first read them with Madman. I remember the first volume of Madman coming out and not being able to buy it because it was an independent comic. So I mail ordered it. (laughs) (laughs) I have been reading those two for an incredibly long time. Obviously, the first Madman comics were in black and white, but Laura comes in later on. Some of the most dynamic looking colors I think we've seen. She's really incredible. One of the testaments to to great colors is like, they just seem obvious. Like this mm-hmm. is what it should look like. And that kind of sucks if like your job is to be obvious, and like not stand out. But right. they work so nicely. It looks so good. Yeah, they're so bright and it makes this comic just pop. Every panel kind of jumps off the frame at you. In the best way, it's really great. And all of the characterization is brilliant. I think that Scott Lang as the mourning father is very interesting. He's so sad, <laughs> like, through the whole thing. And then is kind of the person who has to rally everybody, even though he's extremely <laughs> depressed. So I think that that's pretty fun to watch. I love Jennifer Walters in this, or the Jen, oh. as we'll call her. This is one of the best representations of her ever, I think. One of my favorite... It's just like such an aside. Someone asks her a question and she's like, she just answers it casually. But in the frame, she has like a broken spaceship on her back. (laughs) And she's just like carrying it, having a casual conversation. Oh, God, I love the Jen in this. And she's called the Jen because like one of the little groups of kids, they love her. They love her. They think she's the greatest thing that has ever existed. She and Wyatt Wingfoot go on a date and they're like, oh, no, we must stop the Jen. (laughs) It's so cute. Like everything about that trope usually is just so misogynistic and so terrible. And this is such a great inversion of it. 
That's kind of what I delightful. was thinking. Was like this is one where it's actually really cute because they just they're not trying to date her so much as they just love her so much that they don't want any dude who isn't cool enough to be with her. So they're just yeah. like, no, he's going to hurt her feelings because he did before, and that is unacceptable to us. <laughs> and so, so that was cute. cute. It was adorable, you know. And of course, Jen, being who Jen is, has no idea any of this is even going on. She does not pay attention <laughs> when they call her the gen they don't she just doesn't notice she's just kind of busy doing other things and she's just like oh i guess like these kids have kind of a cult around me um <laughs> bye <I guess>. okay <laughs> it's just a side note to everything else that's going on oh um, they're so cute and everything they try to do to like stop the date just like blows up in their face and they're being helped by bentley who was the character for two before is like the clone of a super villain who's like this little kid who's trying to not be maniacal, well, at least for appearances, but every sentence he says ends up being so wild and intense and like, and then we can dominate all of the species. And it's like, <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> Take it back oh. a few steps. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so cute oh i love the whole thing this is also the issue where she hulk and wyatt dance and they have the footstep patterns like the dance patterns all written out on the page so that's a really fun page to look at is just watching these oh, two I love dance that um wyatt is really sweet in this too i really appreciated his relationship with she hulk and how they were kind of like don't really have time still really like you <laughs> like bye <laughs> That was all cute. I love Miss Thing, of course. She was really fun. And I loved how it was kind of played up that not a lot of people knew who she was or like knew what the deal was with her being on the team. And she's like, well, superheroes have been ruining my life forever. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the fact that you're not even going to pay attention to who I am, then I guess that all makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> like, this seems like the logical sequence of events that you guys would totally say that I'm not good enough to replace the thing. I'm not even replacing the thing. She hulk as the thing replacement yeah. all of that was really fun and of course medusa always fun love to see medusa great humor and kind of playing around with her legacy i guess is always interesting i love to see her away from the other inhumans because good god but yeah this is like honestly one of the cutest comics i've ever read it's really sweet its heart is deep in Marvel continuity. So there's all kinds of references from all across the universe. And you have, you know, people who are trying to step up into the role of heroes whenever they're at their lowest ebb. And that, you know, is always going to be such a classic, timeless story of triumph is basically people being like, I don't know if I can do this. I just lost my daughter. I'm deeply, deeply depressed. Nobody told me that things were going to be like this. <laughs> I didn't even know I was signing up for this. And then being like, Okay, well, I have to, you know, and doing it, I think was really nice to see for my Ant-Man during this time whenever he was literally just mourning the death of his daughter pretty much nonstop. I loved this Ant-Man. There's this point where he goes to confront the Yancey Street gang who are like, they're who are really struggling with like the thing being gone. Even though they're rivals, they just miss him. They miss giving him shit, which is so cute. <laughs> it's so pure. It's like we miss our rival. And it's like such a tender moment. But then like Ant-Man protects his team. And like he does it in this very Ant-Man way. 
And he's like, and now you know I'm not Reed Richards. Usually those kind of lines like don't work for me. But in this situation, it was so perfect because it wasn't actually delivered with that much malice. It was just like, I'm not going to fuck with you guys. I'm going to put an end to this. And it was nice to see that part of Ant-Man in this version. But yeah, I think it's such a clever conceit, such a nice way to freshen up the Fantastic Four. It is so heartwarming. There's a beautiful coming out story for a trans character. It's very, very simple, very accepted, surrounded in love. I just, I thought that was super duper cute. The kids are all so precious. And I love anything about children who are, quote unquote, supposed to be evil. And then them grappling with their morality and their impulses and their intentions. And I think we get a lot of that in this. And it's just... Oh, if you need to like just make your heart feel a little bit better, go read this comic. It is going to make you feel a lot better about the world. Yeah. And I think that this was one of the earlier things from Fraction, too, that we saw where it was just like, oh, this guy, you know, goes on to do Hawkeye and some other really great series. So this was kind of the one where I was like, oh, this is somebody to watch. Yeah. And I think that Fraction really knows how to write kids. And I will say that is not easy. That's not an easy thing to do. And few people get it right. But Fraction really gets how to write kids. That's true. Yeah, that's actually something I hadn't thought about. But you're correct about that. The children interactions in this, I think kids could read and would find really entertaining. Enjoy. (laughs) Enjoy. It's really good. (laughs) There's not much else to say about that one. So Sarah, we have something pretty cool coming up for Pride Month, don't we? Oh, uh, wow. Which thing? I, I think that we have definitely the Decoded series, but then there's something else. I think it's called a Pride Month extravaganza. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got an invite for that. <laughs> so what we're doing is we are talking to some of the coolest people doing stuff in and around comics. So we have, I don't even know how many interviews. Let's go with four billion. So much. And then also some other bonus episodes because you know what? We know it's not the pride we all thought we were going to get to have. I was very much looking forward to getting a horrible sunburn while drinking too many mimosas. At like nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, nine, <laughs> I was going to say by 10, I like to be able to be ready for a nice nap. Um, <laughs> and mad, just kind of mad because you've been in the sun and like one of your friends was having too much fun, you know, and you were just like, yeah. uh, uh, I'm such an, in a bad mood and like dehydrated from my mimosas. So I'm just going to like angry sleep for an hour and wake up and feel <laughs> like hell. That's what I was looking forward to. Go drink some more and dance and then watch the young babies come into the club and go, wow, I am much older than I realized. Here I am (laughs) nearing 40, not fitting in with anybody, really. (laughs) It's a beautiful tradition, Pride is. (laughs) Yes, I've always had a great time. And since we can't all go out there and have our, you know, wide range of experiences, (laughs) instead... Sarah's like, I fucking hate it. <laughs> I love the term wide range of experiences. I'll say hey, that. I'm trying to keep it as neutral as possible. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to have a shit ton of interviews. We're talking to six different awesome people. Well, six different interviews with seven different awesome people. So June 1st, we are talking to Pamela and Ivy creators, Leah McKendrick and Mariah Owen. June 3rd, we're talking to War of the Realms writer, Anthony Oliveira. Whoop, whoop. June 10th, we've got indie comic veteran Mari Naomi. June 12th, drag star and comic critic Judith Slays. I'm so excited. 
June 17th, freelance writer Chingy Nia talking about safe sex, the comic and the concept. Why not? June 24th, Marvel's America series writer Gabby Rivera. We're very excited to talk to Gabby. And then on June 26th and June 30th, we've got bonus episodes for you. June 26th, we're talking about Young Avengers because, holy crap, it's so queer. On June 30th, for our bonus episode, we're talking about queer comics anthologies, four different anthologies, all by queer creators. And we are super pumped to share that with you. Yay! Stay inside. Don't leave your house for Pride if you don't have to. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Anna Sheridan, New York Times bestselling author of Supernatural Horror, missing for nearly six months now. That's not possible. Given the circumstances of her disappearance, someone with a more vivid imagination might decide she'd pierced the veil, so to speak. Weak radio signal. 700 meters. Closing fast. There's no place for ghost stories and close encounters in this investigation, or any other. I need you to find me. Of course. What else would it be? The Sheridan Tapes, a serialized horror mystery podcast. Stream the complete series today on Realm and on all podcasting platforms.